Amen. If you could make your way back in, come on in and take a seat. Please do talk with one another after the service. Get to know one another. Have good fellowship. As we begin uh, this morning, I want to say two things to you. One I will say now, the other one I will say in a moment. The first is, I want to apologize for speaking to you with this lozenge in my mouth. Um, I haven't felt well the last couple days. I'm on the mend. Uh, As I quote uh, our friend Doug Gillette, I'm upright and taking nourishment. So that's a good sign, but uh, I still have some stuff going on. So with that in mind, I've decided I would go ahead and take the easy way out and keep something moist in my throat. So I apologize for that. Um, I don't know how many of you guys remember, but a number of years ago, Time Magazine. How many of you guys even remember Time Magazine? Okay. Time Magazine had a headline article, front page, in their magazine, and the headline was this. God is dead. I mean, it hit the media big time. It was big news. Do do any of you guys remember that? I do. God is dead. The irony is, the way in which the media decided to play it out was they showed up at Billy Graham's house. This is no joke. This is true. They showed up in mass at Billy Graham's house the next morning after that headline made the news. And they waited for him to come out, knowing that he came out every morning with his cup of coffee and his Bible to sit in a rocking chair on his porch to do his devotions. So they came to Billy Graham's house, and as he came out, he all of a sudden he sees all this mass of media, trucks, all kinds of dishes on top, all of it. And he's looking at them, and they said, Mr. Graham, Mr. Graham, can we ask you a question? And he said, well, certainly. They said, we want to know, how do you feel about the news that God is dead? He said, well, that's an odd thing because I just talked to him this morning. (laughs) God hardwired us to have relationship with Him. And part of relationship is communication. Being able to talk with, not talk to, but talk with God. Because it ought to be a give and a take. We're continuing our two-month January and February emphasis on learning to hear God's voice. And today, I want to talk to you about something that I alluded to last week. Now, some people treat this whole idea of God speaking to us as somehow being almost um, eerily magical. It's like if all the planets get in line perfectly and everybody holds hands and we sing Kumbaya in unison, then maybe God will speak. And I want to suggest to you that it's not like that at all, but that God speaks all the time. That's what the Scripture says. Look at the Scripture I gave you out of Job 33.14. It says, For God does speak, now one way and now another, though man may not perceive it. The issue is not that God speaks. We know God speaks. The issue is, can we perceive it? Can we tune in to hear God's voice better on a regular agenda? And that is our agenda. That's been what we have been trying to press for these last two months, is that God does speak, 
and that he actually has wired us to be able to hear his voice. Today I want to look at how we can know if the voice we're hearing is really God or not. Okay? That's my whole agenda for today. How do you know if what you think you're hearing is really God? Um, I said last week that most often God doesn't speak in blazing, flaming fires up in the sky. Most times, He speaks in a still, small voice with our spiritual ears being able to hear it. It's an impression, a sense that we have. Most times, it's not audible. Can God speak audibly? Absolutely. I believe that there have been at least two occasions in my life when if it was not audible, it was so loud, it was almost audible to me. It was so loud in my heart and mind, I personally think it was audible. But I don't know that that's the normal way He does it. I think most often, He speaks to us in our hearts where we have spiritual ears. Um, If God gives me an impression, though, a sense, how do I know that that sense is from God and not a result of the um, spicy chicken wings that I had last (laughs) night for dinner? How do I know that it's not me just talking myself into believing it's God when really it's my own voice. How many of you talk to yourself? Okay. I, I talk to myself all the time because I personally like to have an intelligent conversation every once in a while. Um, I know, that's bad. Um, but every one of us, when we think we're hearing something, when we're sensing something, you ought to have a wondering in your heart, is this God or is this me? Because it can be you. Because every one of us can miss it. Every one of us can blow it. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that we know in part. Nobody has it all down yet. So, how do you know when it's really God? Now, this might not seem like a big deal to you. Especially if all you're considering is is where you're going to eat at what restaurant for lunch today. But when you're considering life-impacting decisions like who you should marry or where you should live or what your job or vocation should be, those are big decisions when I think it behooves us to seek the mind and heart of God to know what it is that He would want of us. 1 John 4.1 says this, Don't always believe everything you hear just because somebody says it's a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is. Test it. We're, we're called by God's Word to test or distinguish the voice of God from all other voices. We've got to figure out if this thing is really God or not. What I want to give you today are seven very simple, basic ways that every one of us can evaluate an impression, or even to evaluate a prophetic word that you might receive either for yourself or that you believe God has given you for somebody else. Seven ways to know if it's really God talking to you or not. Now, these seven words, these seven points, are going to be, think of them like a funnel, okay? Think of a big funnel. And inside the funnel, where everything trickles down to a point, The point is, is it God? So everything flows in and you have to discern whether it's God. And inside this big uh, funnel, 
is a filter. And the filter helps us to be able to filter out whether something is God or not. And only that which is God actually flows down through. So, having said that, I wanted to say to you the second thing I wanted to say to you this morning. The first was, I've got this lozenge in my mouth. The second thing is very simply this. I'm begging you. I really am. Please hear these as seven very simple basic evaluative tools that you can use to discern the voice of God. They are not exhaustive. I'm not telling you everything that could ever be. And every single one of these seven, I mean, as I'm writing them down, I'm thinking, wait, I could argue this one. I could argue that one. I could come up with exceptions. There's exceptions to every point. My point is, please do not abuse these. Don't use them to your own ends, twisting and turning them to get what you want. I'm asking you to catch the spirit behind each one. I'm begging you to do that. I've sat in enough services, myself being who I am, and I've also talked to enough people that when I'm done preaching, I can have somebody come up to me and say, thank you so much for that word. That really helped me. Somebody else will come up on this side and say, you really blew it today because the word of God says this, and this was just, this was heretical. Both in the same service. Both the same message. I'm asking you not to play those games. I'm asking you to listen, to hear the voice and Spirit of God within these seven criteria that we have. Alright? So having said that, as you're taking notes, okay? Number one. Number one, Jocelyn. Number one. Hmm? She's taking notes. Isn't that cool? Number one. Does it agree with the Bible? Does it agree with the Bible? Now, right next to that, you need to write this. This is important. God never contradicts the spirit and principles of His written Word. God never contradicts the spirit and principles of His Word. And I'm saying it for a reason. Another way of saying it is, God never contradicts His own heart. Luke 21.33 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. God will never tell you to do something that violates anything of the Spirit of His Word. Never. Never. God is consistent. The Scripture tells us in Hebrews, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, some of you, if you're thinking people like I tend to be sometimes, you're thinking about Old Testament codes. What about this? What about the fact that the Old Testament code says some things that we can't do that we now do? How many of you actually eat bacon once in a while? You sinners! I believe that Old Testament codes may be altered by New Testament grace and revelation. Such that Jesus said, whatever you eat, you can receive it as long as you receive it with thanksgiving. In other words, there was a higher principle involved. One example would be, in the Old Testament, God's Word says, the lepers are to be at a distance, and when they saw people, they were to stand back, clothes torn, ashes on them, they're to yell out, unclean, unclean. But in the New Testament, Jesus actually comes to lepers and He touches them. 
wait, isn't he breaking the law? No, there was a higher principle. The principle in the Old Testament that God was using was to try to protect the people from the spread of disease. Much like I might tell you, if I'm not feeling good, keep your distance. Don't let me breathe on you. I saw my granddaughter, Izzy, here today. I saw my other grandchildren and I wanted to, like normal, hug them. I didn't hug one of them. Didn't get close to them. Because I don't want to give them what I have. That's a principle. Protect against the spread of disease. But in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, Jesus not only touched them, He actually showed us there's a higher principle. That the love and power of God is greater than all disease. So, Old Testament codes might fade away. But the principles of God's Word remain in effect. So that's why I said God will never contradict the Spirit and the principles of His Word. Years ago, I had a friend who called me one evening. I can still remember it. It was just such a clear memory for me. I don't have a lot of clear memories, but that's one of them. Uh, I had a friend who was a pastor who called me. Uh, he actually had a I had a very small church at the time. It was about 30, 40 people. And um, it was in the middle of nowhere. And then he had a church in a city. And it was doing pretty well. He called me. And I took the call and I said, oh, what's going on? He said, well, I'm calling you to let you know that God has revealed to me my true soulmate. So I will be divorcing my wife and marrying this other woman. I got to tell you, I didn't have to pray about this at all. Because the Word of God is clear. I did want to pray about how could I respond to Him in a somewhat firm but loving way. But the end result was I said, Brother, that's not the voice of God. God never told you that. That's a lie from the devil. Why? Because God's Word is clear about the faithfulness and fidelity that He expects within our marriage relationships. Very clear about it. So I didn't have to pray about that because God's not going to contradict His Word. God's Word tells us, by the way, for example, that we should pay our taxes. There came an occasion when they came to Jesus and said, how come you're not paying taxes? So He sends Peter down and He says, I want you to go fishing. And when you pull the fish out, take the coin out of the fish's mouth and give it to them to pay my taxes. In another place He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. So when you believe that God has said to you, the government is evil and it misuses the money I give it anyways, so I don't need to pay my taxes, you are not hearing the voice of God. God's Word is never to be contradicted in spirit or principle. God will never tell you to do something that's inconsistent with the spirit of His Word. Most of God's Word, or most of God's will rather, it's in this word right here. The behaviors, the attitudes, the mindsets we're to have are all reflected right here. And much of what we are praying for God to tell us is already here if we would only stick in His Word. We just don't want to bother reading it. We want something new, something fresh. God's already spoken. Why should He say something more? Do this. Now, it doesn't mean God can't say more on a very personal level. And He does. Words of encouragement. Words of edification. Words of comfort. But it starts with knowing His Word. I know, for example, that God's Word says that we're to be givers. I don't have to pray about that. I know God wants me to be a giver. 
what I pray about is, God, what would you like me to give and how would you like me to give it? Because I'm supposed to be a giver as he is. So the first thing is this. God will never contradict his word. Is that voice that you're hearing in line with the word of God? Okay, number one. Number two, does it make me more like Jesus? Does it make me more like Jesus? Romans 8.29 says this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God has planned from the beginning of time that you would become more and more like Jesus. I don't mean that you're going to become little gods. I mean that you're going to become more godly like Jesus was. He would never tell you to do anything that contradicts that goal, that you would become more like Jesus. He's not going to ask you to lie. He's not going to ask you to steal. He's not going to ask you to break the law. He's going to want you to become more like Christ. Practical application uh, of what it means is in James chapter 3. James says this, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. He's telling you, it's going through a filter. That wisdom, that wisdom that he's just referred to in verse 14, doesn't come from God. So if you think you're hearing that, it's not from God. If the word you're receiving has bitterness or envy or selfish ambition, he's saying it's not from God for where envy Self-seeking exists. Confusion and every evil thing are there. But then he goes on. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. He's saying, you want a word from God? Let it line up with that. Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it willing to yield? Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality or hypocrisy. That's how God's Word comes to you. If a thought or impression is genuinely from God, it's going to have something of that Spirit. The Spirit of Christ within it. A lot of people over the years, um, and a lot of pastors even, have told me things like, well, God told me to do this in my congregation. I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody else thinks. God's my boss. I'm going to do what God thinks. And I have watched them leave a wake behind them of hurt people. Not just pastors, but everybody. Everybody does what they want. I don't care how you feel about it. This is what I'm going to do. I've watched husbands do it to their wives. Watch wives do it to their husbands. But my question is, is that the Spirit of Christ? You say God told you to do this, but is that the Spirit of Christ? Oh, you can take any word and you can take it out of context to say pretty much anything you want it to say. But is it the Spirit of Christ? Because if it's a word from God, an impression from God, it ought to leave you or the one who's receiving it feeling like God is helping me to become formed into the image of His Son. Does the word bring me or the recipient closer to God? If it doesn't, then I think it's right to question that word. So, number one, does it square up with the Bible? Number two, does it make me more like Jesus? Number three, does my family or community confirm it? God has created every single one of us to have relationship with Him. 
But secondly, he's also created us to have relationship with one another. But here's the catch. Who your friends are then really matters. Who you're hanging out with, who you're getting your counsel from really matters. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. The principle that I'm giving you is true. It's important. But it's crucial then that you think about who your connections are and if they're living in a way so as to warrant giving their thoughts and advice any merit at all. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard guys, guys now, I'm talking to guys, who have struggled with issues of pornography. But know that it's wrong. Know that it's evil. Know that it's a trap that can destroy their life and their marriage. Say, I need to become accountable to somebody. So who do they become accountable to? Someone who has a worse problem than them. I mean, what are you thinking? Well, I want somebody who won't be too hard on me. Who understands? That's why this is so important. To think about who are your friends? Who are you getting your counsel from? Who is actually confirming for you the word and voice of God? Our company greatly influences our destiny. Um, some of you guys will remember Marty Derricott. He has been with us a number of times. He's spoken at camp and at youth stuff. Marty Derricott's mentor is a woman by the name of Jeannie Mayo. She says this, Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I think that's a good statement. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. When you become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you not only get a new relationship with God, but according to the Word of God, you are baptized into a body, which he calls the church. You are added to the church. You're a part of the family of God. And God never meant for you to make major decisions alone without counsel. And when I'm talking about major decisions, I'm not talking about necessarily what color pants to buy. It might become a major decision if he's talking to you about what kinds of clothing to wear. But I'm speaking specifically about things like marriage relationships or where you're going to live. And again, this isn't to become controlling. The truth is, I've got enough on my plate with just myself. I don't have to get involved in your life. I don't have to have control of your life, but it is a matter of being able to give godly, wise counsel, confirming what people sense might be the Word of God. And again and again over the years, I have watched people make decisions, and in my heart and mind, I'm thinking, what are you doing? Only to have that decision come back and bite them. I've had people tell me, well, God told me to do this, and God gave this to me. God didn't give it to you. You took out a loan for it. And that gift from God became an albatross around your neck. It's wise to ask for counsel. Proverbs 12.15 says, A fool thinks he needs no advice, but a wise man listens to others. The third question you need to ask when it comes to hearing the voice of God is, does my family of connections confirm it? Especially my church family. Ephesians 3.10 says, God's intent is that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. The biggest reason why people mess up in their lives is they try to live their life without any kind of connection or accountability. The scripture says in Proverbs eleven fourteen, in a multitude of counselors or advisors, there is safety. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I've been pastoring for a long time. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched people make unwise decisions in the name of having heard the voice of God. And I'm not going to come to you and say, I mean, once you say to me, God said, who am I to say no? If, however, you approach it humbly and you say, I have been sensing this. I'm not sure though. What do you think? You open the door for some conversation. But once you've told me God told you, then I'm just going to say, okay. And then later on when it blows up in your face and you come back to me and say, why didn't you say something? My response is going to be, how could I say anything? You told me God told you. That's why I think one of the biggest impediments to this particular point is the same thing I said to you last week, which is pride. Pride. I don't need to get advice from anybody. I'm a grown-up. I'm a man. I make my own decisions. I think I'm a man by now at this stage of my life. I'm old enough. I think I can say I'm a man. And i got to tell you, I still look for advice. I still look for counsel. I still look for direction. I don't want to live my life unconnected and unaccountable to others. When we try to live like a lone ranger doing our own thing, almost always it's going to come back and bite you. And isn't it typical, by the way, that when we're thinking about doing something, we start by asking advice of somebody. And when they don't give us the answer we want, what do we do? We go look somewhere else and somewhere else and ask a different person until we finally find somebody who agrees with us. And then we say, God's confirmed that word. I've had people say to me that a media ministry, a TV ministry, who they don't have any relationship with at all, has confirmed what they should do. They wrote them, and this person sent back and said, may God bless whatever's in your hand. And they said, see, I had the deed in my hand at that moment, and I knew I should do it then because they told me I should. They don't know you. That's why it's important to have connections, close connections, who can help speak into your life. A major reason why we don't like to check, why we don't like to ask advice, is because we want to do what we want to do. We just want to do it. I don't want to ask anybody. I'll do what I want. And yet, how many times would you have avoided heartache and years of bondage if you had only been willing to be accountable to somebody else? Proverbs 11.9 says, The wisdom of the righteous can save you. What can it save you? Save you time and money, reputation, trouble. If you have an idea and you're wondering, is this really from God? and you check it out with other mature Christians who know you well, and they question its merit, that might be a good reason for you to wonder about it. I'm not saying they should control you, but I think that kind of questioning ought to be like a yellow caution flag goes up. If they're not in agreement with it, and they know God, they're walking with God a long time, and they're for me, 
then maybe I need to take a step back and ask, is this really God? So, that was number three. Number four, is it consistent with how God has shaped me? Is it consistent with how God has shaped me? You all know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But Ephesians 2.10 often is forgotten. And it basically says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now, what this means is before you were born, God planned out your life. He had a purpose for your life. You're not here by accident. The reason is what is called purpose. Uh, Rick Warren years ago wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. You have a purpose in your life. This chair is designed with a purpose. This chair has legs and a back and a seat. Some chairs even have arms. But it's designed for a purpose. The purpose is for someone to sit upon it. It's to be a place where you could rest. You're to sit upon the chair. This microphone right here, this microphone is not to be sat upon. In fact, if you sit upon it, probably not good things will happen to it. The microphone's purpose is different than the chair's purpose. So my point is this. What is the purpose that God has made for your life? And the words that God speaks to you and how He speaks to you is going to be related to how He made you. How He formed you. How He shaped you. Um, the design reveals something of God's purpose. God made you in a specific way. He took into consideration your birth and your birth parents and how you grew up. Your parents for good or ill. All of that's taken into consideration. Some things you like more than others. Some things you're more prone to. You're naturally good at. Some things not so much. For some of you, for example, let, let me ask you this way. How many of you find it hard, even though you don't like chick flicks, how many of you find it hard to watch one without having tears once in a while in it? I do. It's like, it's moving. I don't even like them and I'm still moved. And yet, some of you probably haven't wept in 20 years. It just doesn't come natural to you. It's not just something to do with you. Some of you, how, how many of you guys like numbers? How many of you like to see all these numbers in a row? How many of you, when you see numbers in a row, you start to have a panic attack? It's a difference in how God formed you. How God shaped you. Your personality. How many of you guys like words? How many of you play word games? I am really grateful a couple of you played word games because it gives me somebody to play against. Because when I have downtime, that's what I want to do. I want to play word games. Don't care if I get beat or not. I just want to play. I like words. How many of you get a word a day from the dictionary? What is wrong with you? How many of you like poetry? How many of you like poetry? I, I got to tell you, I wrote a poem for my wife. It was sad. It was bad. 
I'm going through the dictionary trying to remember any word that could rhyme with orange. And I couldn't find any. And then I look it up and I find out there is no word in the English language that rhymes with orange. So I quit. I don't know. It's bad. Poetry? Man. What I want you to get though is that God formed you with certain gifts and abilities. Certain... um, personality traits. Some of you are more extroverted. Some of you love getting together on Sundays. You love talking to people. Some of you are more introverted. And you can't wait to go home and just be alone and process things. Just because of how God formed you. God also gives you different experiences. Whether it be educational or vocational. Maybe even painful experiences that have help to form you into who you are today. Different than ever could have been any other way. Design reveals your purpose, but it also reveals something of your destiny. Where you're going to go in life. What God's purpose is. So, just as the design of the chair reveals its purpose, the design or shape of your life reveals your purpose. In other words, God is not going to gift you with perfect pitch and able to play the piano like a concert pianist and then make you be a mechanic. He's got a purpose for your life. In the same way, God's not going to probably call you to be a worship leader up front when you can't carry a tune in a bucket. I can remember um, I was in a service years ago. This was probably 23, 24 years ago. I was in a service with a prophetic voice, good prophetic voice. I mean, they gave Karen and I and our family a word that was like, blew us away. It was so accurate, so right on. But this prophet was going down the row, giving words to people, and he came to this young man. And he said to this young man, you're going to be a world-renowned worship leader or something like that. You're going to stand in front of people and you're going to lead people into the presence. This young man is looking around. He said, I can't sing for anything. There's not even a hope of that. Now, I would suggest to you that in that moment, the prophet blew it. And I'm okay with that. Because none of us gets it right 100% of the time. Only God. So the fact that he missed that one doesn't bother me. I heard some of the other ones which were right on. But I think that's a good way to test whether a word that you're hearing inside of your heart and mind is from God or not. Is it based upon how God formed you? How God shaped you? Is it consistent with all of that? So if God were to say to me, I want you to become the next Lord Poet Laureate, I would question that word as being from God. Because there's not only no gifting in me towards that, there's no desire in me for that. It's nothing that I want. It's not based upon how God formed me. So if you believe that God has said to you, you'd be the next person who's standing up front speaking to everybody, but you can't put two words together to save your life. I'm not saying to throw all words out, but I am saying you might want to hold that before the Lord to see if that really is God. And does it meet the other criteria, the other filters for whether a voice is God's voice? God will not usually have you do something outside of how He has formed you. Can it sometimes be uncomfortable? Absolutely. Every single Sunday I stand up here is uncomfortable for me. 
I struggle with it every single Sunday. I get sick to my stomach. I don't want to be here. But I do it because I believe God has called me to do it. And I also do it finding God's grace is sufficient in it as I walk in obedience to Him. So, although I'm talking about forming, do I believe God can ask us to do things within our forming that are uncomfortable? Yes. I think He has formed me to do this. But personality-wise, it's still tough. Because I am high, high on the introvert level. So all of this stuff in front of people is really tough. God can take us outside of our comfort zone. And He does. But usually, it's how He's formed us. Um, Romans 12.6 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. In other words, God's going to use how He's formed you. Another way of saying this, by the way, is does it bear witness? Does it bear witness with how God has made you? Number five. Okay, we've got about five minutes to finish this up. Number five, real quick. Does it concern my sphere of responsibility? In John 21, Jesus was talking to Peter and said to Peter, this is how you're going to die. That's a hard word for anybody, by the way. This is how you're going to die. Peter, looking around, sees John the Apostle and says, what about him? And my own translation, Jesus said to Peter, mind your own business. What's that got to do with you? And a lot of times, people want words to tell other people what to do. They want an impression that they can use as a tool or even a weapon. And I want to say to you, most times, you ought to first, if you're looking for a word, ask God for a word for yourself before you're ever asking for a word for somebody else or for a church. God, what are you saying to me? I've had people, well-meaning people, well-intentioned people, Christians, do more harm under this than almost anything else where they feel like it's their responsibility to tell people what to do. God's told me the reason why you're sick is this. And if you will do this, it'll get all better. And I've seen people go off of medication that has been prescribed and get deathly ill because of it. I've had people say to people, I believe God's told me that you're to invest your money into this, and when you do, God will bless you a hundredfold. I think it's a dangerous thing when you begin to tell people what to do in the name of the Lord. Because then you give God a bad reputation. It would be far better if you just said, I think this. But when you say God said, you put authority behind it, which can be dangerous. God said. God told me, by the way, to post your secret sin on Facebook. I've been praying about you. I have. And God told me I should post your secret sin on Facebook because your sin is pride. And he told me if I post it on Facebook, that will humiliate you. I have to tell you, that doesn't bear the witness of Christ, does it? But we do that kind of thing. People are putting things on media like it's their personal diary. And it's not. I want to say to you, stop it. Just stop it. Your opinions about people, even about our government, is it edifying? Is it building up? Is it encouraging? Does it bear witness to Christ and the Spirit of Christ? But we do this kind of thing all the time. Does it fall within my sphere of responsibility? I believe God can give you words for other people. 
But most often when he does, when God drops in your heart something about somebody else, most often it's for the purpose of personal prayer. To pray for them. To hold them before the Lord. Uh, I was told recently of a situation of a man that I love dearly and respect greatly. A significant prophetic voice. I mean significant. But this man believed that God gave him a word about another leader and said, you have a secret sin. And he began to announce it publicly, calling him to task publicly, rebuking him publicly, and saying, until you repent of this sin, God will never give you any success. Well, the truth is, it wasn't true. And even if it was, I don't believe God's into exposing your sin when he's already dealt with it by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, whenever we have a prophet coming into the house, which we do now and again, I think it's a terrible mindset when we teach our kids to go repent before they come. You know, get all your sin dealt with so that they don't bring it out. That's not what a real prophet does. They deal with their own sphere of responsibility. And if a prophet's going to speak over you, it ought to be words of encouragement, of building up, of hope. Number six. Is it convicting and encouraging rather than condemning? Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from the devil. Conviction points to hopeful change. Condemnation just leaves you feeling bad. When God speaks to you about yourself, God puts something in your heart. You believe it might be a word from God. You believe God's spoken to you. If it's there, it's, it's something in you, it might be there's something in your life that needs to change. But I have found that God is very specific. He will speak to a behavior or an attitude or a mindset. And then He will give you a resolution for it, hope for it. He won't just leave you feeling like you have no value. The fact is that God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, for you. So that every sin you have ever committed, or could ever commit, every sin you haven't even thought of for tomorrow, He's already paid the price for. That's how valuable you are to God. He gave the life of His Son. So when God gives you a word, you ought to ask yourself, is this word encouraging? Maybe convicting, but is it encouraging? Because if it's not, I question whether it's from God. I had a man once who... um, used to be here quite a bit. And uh, every time he would speak, it came across harshly. In fact, I said to him at one time, it's like you give the word, you anticipate that people won't obey it, and you're spanking them ahead of time. I have to tell you, that's not the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ ought to be hopeful and encouraging. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is our accuser. Not God. Satan. So is it encouraging? Is it convicting? Not condemning. So when you have a word for yourself or for another, does it give hope? Does it build up? Does it comfort? And number seven, finally, do I sense God's peace in it? Do I sense God's peace in it? 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not the author of confusion. When you're trying to discern whether something is from God or not, 
does it leave you with a sense of peace? Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Philippians 4, 6-7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you are feeling a sense from God and it's causing you to act quickly or hastily, if it's putting pressure upon you, I think that's reason enough to wonder, is this really God? Because God doesn't put us in pressure like that. One of the things that has saved Karen and I over all of these years, again and again it saved us, is when we have been ready to make a decision about a purchase, maybe like a washing machine, as we had just recently. You go in, and that salesman, you're praying ahead of time, God, we want to know the best one for us, the best price, the best deal, the one that's going to be the most blessing to our family. We need your help to know what washing machine to buy. And we go into the store, and the salesman shows us these washing machines, but this washing machine is on sale. And you need to make a decision quick because it's going off sale. In fact, you've got 10 minutes before I'm actually going to take that sticker off here and it's no longer going to be on sale. So you better buy it now. That's enough reason for us. And we've done it again and again and again and again. That's enough reason for us to walk away. I'd rather pay more than have that kind of pressure. If it doesn't give you a sense of peace, there's something wrong with it. There's nowhere in the Bible that you can find that God told people, rush into a situation. In fact, nine times in the New Testament alone, God says, don't worry. Trust Him. He says, don't worry about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I don't believe, when it comes to hearing the voice of God, that God is playing a game to see if you can get it all right. And it's not that you have to take these seven and say, okay, if i got to get every one of these, i better write these down, and every time I make a decision. These ought to be something within the spirit of your being. Number one, does it agree with the Bible? Number two, does it make me more like Jesus? Number three, does my family confirm that word? Is it consistent with how God has shaped me? Does it concern my sphere of responsibility? Number six, is it convicting and encouraging more than condemning? And seven, do I sense the peace of God in it? So when you receive a prophetic word, I think it's fair to ask these kinds of questions. When you're giving a prophetic word, it's fair to ask these questions. And when you're just receiving a voice in your heart with your spiritual ears, do these things, filters, Funnel it down until you can come away and say, yeah, I really do believe this is God. I've gone through it in my heart. I've talked to others who are older and wiser in God than I am. Walk with Jesus longer. And they would agree, this seems like this might be the mind and will of God. And even then, you still hold it loosely. You hold it loosely saying, I believe this is God. Would you stand? Every one of us, I believe, in our heart of hearts, wants to hear from God. We want to be able to fulfill what Jesus said in John when he said, my sheep know my voice. We want to know the voice of God in our own hearts and minds. 
We want to know it for our own lives, which is enough sphere of responsibility. But we also want to know it so that we can be a help and encouragement to others. So that we can actually spur others on towards love and good works. Isn't that true? Don't you want that for yourself? I do. So over January and February, that's what we've been talking about. You've heard messages from us. You heard messages from Kathy Campbell and next week from uh, Brother Hector. You're going to hear another message. But the whole idea is so that you can know. You don't have to become a prophet to hear the voice of God. You don't even have to have a prophetic mantle because God says you are a prophetic people. You have the heart and voice of God in you. And we have to learn to discern it. That's what this is about. How to discern the voice of God from all others. Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> Father, I thank you that uh, we have your word which is clear and unequivocal. We might need to pray at times about what it means for us and how we apply it, but we have your word and we're grateful for it. And the truth is, Lord, we have your voice. We have your voice. You speak to us. We are your children. You love us. You have relationship with us. And you love to whisper into our hearts the truth that are going to make us more and more like Jesus to the world around us. Lord, I pray that for every single person here, from the youngest to the oldest, there would be a driving desire. Even as I said last week, it starts with being willing to position ourselves to hear the voice of God, wanting it, desiring it. That would be our cry. And then we would be willing to do as John says. We'd be willing to test, to try it. Say, well, I think this is Lord. Let me go through some of these filters, see what, how does this fall within here? And that we would be wise, mature people walking in faith, but also walking in integrity. Lord, we love you, and we love the way in which you have made us. And I ask, Lord, that uh, today's teaching, preaching, whatever you want to call it, Lord, was born of your Spirit, and people would be able to hear the Spirit behind it, not just the words. Bless this word to our hearts, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. See you next week as we have Brother Hector Santos with us.